Heavenly Father, this morning I'm overwhelmed with your presence, that you're moving, that you're speaking to hearts, that you're challenging. And God, as we open your word and as we think about who you are, may you speak loudly to us. May we know your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. The human heart is something that fascinates me. It's really amazing. I mean, you're born with a pump inside your chest that pumps your life away. Uh, in the evenings when I put my kids to bed, oftentimes I'll put my hand or even my cheek, my ear right on their chest, and I can feel and I can hear their heart beating, heart pumping. Your heart beats over 100,000 times every single day, pumping that oxygen-rich uh, blood throughout your whole body to keep you alive. Um, it, our hearts are amazing. When you move faster, your heart increases its rate. Some of you, it just going up a few steps, it, it bumps out of your chest a little bit. Uh, it, it slows down when we go to sleep and it's resting. Sometimes it feels like your heart is attacking you. In fact, the most heart attacks happen on one day a year on Christmas Day. Yeah, and when the old ticker stops ticking, you rush to the emergency room and doctors and nurses scurry about and they give you EKGs and stress tests. And if worst case scenario, they'll, they'll crack open your chest and they'll open up your heart to see what's going on inside. It's always surprising what's happening inside your heart, but whatever happens inside your heart means so much to the rest of you. And just like, what's, uh, just like what is a mystery to us in our hearts, Sometimes it's a mystery about what God's heart's like, except for today we launch into the heart of Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 11. It's our key passage for the day. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a pew Bible right in front of you. Um, you can follow along on page 689 as we read this passage. It's in this passage that Jesus defines his own heart for you and me. Now, I'll give you some context as you're turning to Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Jesus has been rich and, and involved deeply in ministry. He's already chosen the 12 disciples, those ones that are following and wanting to be like him. He's sent them out with the power to cast out demons and, and cure illness. And so now they're about to experience what a disciple life looks like as they're following in his footsteps and, and doing their best to emulate him. Jesus is traveling, and he's coming back to Galilee, his hometown, his home area, and, and as he's coming through some of these cities, he's actually discouraged. He's saddened because he, he came, God, human, now to earth, and he's here to proclaim that there's a Savior, yet the, the group of people, the Jews, the chosen people that are to carry this message to the world, they've rejected him. In fact, it's those high-up people, the ones that have their master's degree, the, have their D-men, the ones that went to Andrews University. It's the priests. It's the, it's the leaders in the church that have actually, the ones that were supposed to recognize him first, they're the ones that have said, he's not the one, and they've rejected him. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter 11 as we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between Jesus and his father, and he defines his heart for us. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Say amen if you're there. Okay, we're ready. Here it goes. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus says, Father, 
it's frustrating that the, the leaders, the ones that should have known me best, are the ones that rejected me. But God, because you're a loving God, you've revealed it to those that aren't educated, the ones that don't know, and the mission still moves forward. He goes on, verse 27, he says this, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see this connectedness. You've got the Father and you've got the Son, and they are one, yet they're separate, but they're together. And if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. And if you know the Father, you know the Son. And, and, and the Son says, I'm here to show the Father to you. That's why I'm here. And we finally get to this part in verse 20, 28, where Jesus shows us his heart. Here's what he says. You've heard this passage before, many of you. He says this. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in my heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In all 89 chapters of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's only one place where Jesus defines his own heart for us, where he tells us how he feels about us, and it's right here. And he could have described himself as powerful or dignified, but he doesn't. Instead, he says that he, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. In my heart, he says, it's gentle and lowly. Now, there's something interesting you need to know about how the Bible uses hearts. So often when the Bible refers to someone's heart, it's not talking about their emotions. It's talking about their identity. It's not talking about how they feel. It's talking about who they are. And so as Jesus, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. It's not how he's feeling. It's not an act, what he's doing. It's the person that he is. He is gentle and lowly. Now, in Greek, the original language that this is written in, those two words have pretty awesome meaning. The Greek, in, in the, the Greek word for gentle, it's only used three times in the New Testament. Three times. The first is when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, the meek will inherit the earth. The second time is, is when he's on a donkey and he's riding into Jerusalem, and the, the author, the Bible writers, describe him as the humble Christ on the donkey. The last place is, is deep in the New Testament in 1 Peter, where Peter is telling wives that they should live a gentle spirit. Meek, humble, gentle. I don't know what your picture of God looks like, but if meek and humble and gentle aren't part of the definition, then you got it wrong, because Jesus just described himself to you. Meek and humble and gentle. As so many of us, we don't have that picture of him. In fact, so often we are afraid of him. We're afraid of his anger. We're afraid of his wrath. We're fearful of him. We're terrified that we're such a disappointment to him that he's going to get tired of putting up with us. It's like we're just waiting for him to roar. Yet he describes himself as gentle. Just this last week, I, I saw an Instagram reel. Can you tell I spend a lot of time on Instagram? I feel like it's every sermon. I saw a reel on Instagram, and, and it showed the, these two polarities, these two polar opposites 
uh, our, our picture of, of a, an angry God that wants to roar, roar versus the gentle God that he defines himself as. And I saw it in one video. There's a place in Crimea. Did I say that right? Now, somebody in first service said, Pastor Matt, if you don't know where that is, it's near the Ukraine. It, it's, in the, it's in Ukraine. Thank you very much. Have you been there? Yes. You have been there. This is great. So this video is from the Ukraine, and apparently they have a, a safari park that is a lion cage, and they allow guests to go into the lion cage in a kind of a golf cart to experience lions front and center. Would you like to see what happens? <laughs> Several people say no, this is horrible. Why would you ever put this here? Trust me, it's okay. Here's the video. Здравствуйте. Все, кто заказывал сафари, кто заказывал такси на Дубровку? Я. Да? Поехали. Лола. Вот такой у нас сафари с Лола автомобилист. Она любит кататься. If you were coming to church one Sabbath, running a little late, you got your kids you that you finally found their shoes, you're getting out the door, you've got three bags, their Cheerio bag for sure, you, you get in the car, the van, you get to the church parking lot, it's way late. Like you don't even have time to go to Sabbath school anymore. You get there, it's hot outside, maybe it's raining outside, you pull into the parking place, you get your kids out, you grab your bags and you're ready to walk up to the church and one of our incredible deacons pulls up with one of those limousine golf carts like we have and they say, would you like a ride? And you say, yes, please. And so you get them on the cart and as you're riding in the parking lot, heading up towards the church, you see movement out of the corner of your eye and you look and you see a lioness coming at you here in Florida. You're getting off that golf cart and you're running for your life because you know what lions are like. They roar. But these lions are different. These lions aren't angry. They're not even hangry. These are just big kitty cats that want to cuddle and nuzzle and be petted and purr. Jesus isn't a trigger-happy, judgmental, frustrated, exasperated, angry God that is just waiting to smite you and me. No way. He's the most understanding being in the universe. His most natural posture to him is not an outstretched finger pointing at you, but it's a wide open hug waiting to bring you into him. That's the God that is gentle and lowly. But he's not just gentle, he is gentle and lowly. And in Greek, this idea of lowliness, it's something that's hard for us to understand a, a wee bit. Um, it's almost an underscore of the idea of being gentle. Peter uses this in the New Testament, excuse me, James does, where he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the same word for lowly. But in the New Testament, the word isn't used to describe the virtue of being humble. Uh, it, it's, it's this idea of someone that is high and lifted up, sitting on a throne that's all-powerful, yet is accessible too. He's not so far away that you can't ever reach him. He's right there next to you, near you. Essentially, Jesus, as he describes himself as lowly, he's essentially saying that he's incredibly accessible. 
This gentle and lowly heart that Jesus describes here in Matthew chapter 11, it's, it means that everybody can access it. It's crazy to think that in all the dazzling holiness of this incredible, powerful God, he's the one that is the most acceptable. In fact, no human in, in human history has ever been more accessible and approachable than Jesus. That's who he is. Everybody knows what it's like to have access, and you feel good about having access. Uh, you know, if you've got a Disney World annual pass, you feel like a boss. You go up to Magic Kingdom, you whip out that card, you scan it on Mickey's face, you put your fingerprint on there because they know that you own this place because you have access. You walk, you laugh at all the other people that are at the will call place spending $140 a day. You got access, baby. I feel proud when I have access. I got this little sticker on my windshield of my truck and when I, when I pull around to uh, Top Dog Car Wash, I, I guess it's Mr. Car Wash, it's going downhill, I'm just telling you, if, if you go there, I might be trading places here. You pull into Mr. Car Wash, I pull right in the lane, and the little scanner, beep, scans me in, and I got access. I just go right on in with my truck and get it washed because I've got access. You feel proud of yourself when you go to, a, a, some of you kids, when you go to, um, what are these jump houses, these trampoline parks? You go in there and they slap a wristband on you. You got access, baby. You can jump as much as you want. Everybody likes to have access. Not too long ago, uh, there was a video that went viral on the internet, and it's a fantastic video, and I, I laugh at it because I think it's cute. It's a, it's a teenage couple, a guy and a girl, and they're, they're totally in love, and they're at some sort of a sporting event, and he is bringing out all the guns to impress this girl, and he's showing her the access that he has. Here's the video. It'll, it'll play three times. Here he is. Look at her. Wow, she says. Can you see the card? Here, watch again. Wow, she says. Here it is. Can you see it? What's on the card? Costco. Pro tip for you teenage boys. Want to get the girl? Get a Costco membership. It's probably not even real. He probably found it somewhere. Doesn't matter. He's got the card. He's got he has paid big bucks so that he has access to buy bulk things. <laughs> Whatever it works for him, he gets the girl. And when it comes to getting access to Jesus, he just gives it to everyone. There's no prerequisites. You don't have to qualify. There's no payment required. You don't have to have a good credit score or a down payment. In fact, the passage right here that we read, it tells us exactly what qualifies you to have access. And it's the most beautiful words you'll hear today. Here's what it says right there at the very beginning. This is the access. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He says, if you're weary and burdened, that's the one I want to be with. He says, you've got to have a burden and bring it to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I love it that you don't have to unburden yourself before you can go to Jesus. It's your very burden that qualifies you to go be with Jesus. And I don't know what burden you carry this morning. Everybody's got one. Uh, it's heavy on you. Maybe it's the burden of being single and just craving a spouse. You carry this burden around. Maybe it's the burden of feeling like you've lost your identity and you don't know who you are. Maybe it's the burden of feeling like you're a failure. 
Maybe it's the burden of, I think we all can resonate with this one, being a habitual sinner that you go back over and over and over again to what you don't want to do, yet you do it anyway. But whatever your burden is, Jesus says, you've got access. Come, bring it to me because I want to give you rest. You know, whether you're actively trying to crowbar your life into something that's smooth and representable, or you're just finding out that your life is complete chaos, it's Jesus that's the one that wants to be with you. He says, come to me. Oh, and by the way, this this rest thing, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's not a transaction. It's not like God says, well, if you give me this, then I'll give you that. It's just a gift. He says, I I want you to have this. It's, It's just for you to have. He wants to be with you because that's who he is. He's gentle and lowly. If Jesus had a website to define who he is, and you went on the website, and you went to the little drop-down menu, and you, and you went to the About Me section, and you wanted to read up on who Jesus was, there wouldn't be paragraphs and pages and pictures of his family. It would just say this, Jesus, gentle and lowly, gentle and kind, and incredibly accessible. For Jesus being gentle and lowly, it's not a way that he acts sometimes. He can't ungentle himself because that's who he is. It's like he can't ungentle himself like you can't change the color of your eyes because it's who he is. That's his identity. And I love it in this passage how Jesus, as he's describing this gentle and lowly being that cares so much about you, he takes it another level because he talks about this whole taking on his yoke thing. Now, if you've ever read this passage before, if you've ever heard a pastor preach on this, then you know this analogy and this metaphor of a yoke. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You've seen yokes. Here's a picture of one. I like this one. It's, it's, it, uh, I don't even know if it's a real one. It's pretty, though. It's this big, heavy wooden beam. You put it on oxen. You put it on cattle. You put it on work animals. You hitch up farm implements and, and plows to it. And this oxen takes this beam, this heavy wooden bar on his shoulders, and he pulls and he toils and he works out in the hot, hot sun. Yet Jesus says to your burden, your yoke, he says, bring it to me. I'm going to carry it with you. I'll put my head right there in the yoke with you and we'll pull together. We'll do it together. And when I'm carrying your load with you, your load becomes light. Honestly, Jesus, as he's talking about this yoke, he uses irony. It's like something that doesn't make sense or it's the opposite where he says, I'm going to give you a yoke that is not a yoke. I'm going to give you a burden that isn't a burden. It's like the guy that flounders in the ocean. You're out on the, the water, you're in your boat, you're, you're driving out, and you see a capsized boat over in the distance, and so you, you, you drive over there as quickly as you can, and you see this guy, and he's, he's down in the water, and he's, he's swimming, and he's moving his arms, he's kicking his legs, and he's been out there for an hour, and he's just trying to keep his head above water. And as you pull up to him, you, you, you grab a life preserver, and you, you toss it to him, and you say, hey, put this around your neck. Put this around your neck. It'll save you. But we, just like this guy, so often we say, no way, man, I've been floundering out here for an hour. I don't want to put something else around my neck and, and, and I have to hold it up too. When Jesus says, put the life preserver on, I'm giving it to you. Put my yoke on you. It'll make everything better. It makes everything easier. And isn't the most beautiful part of this passage the part that Jesus wants to be in the yoke with you? 
that he wants to carry it with you. He doesn't just throw you a life preserver and say, good luck, here's some relief. Instead, he comes down from heaven to earth to be with us, to live with us in the moment because that's just who he is. It's in his heart. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning to be with us, the ones that he loves the most. And this is so opposite of how we often think of God because we view him through this human picture. And and in humanity, we put these gaps and these barriers between humans, whether it's race or socioeconomic status, and we, we draw these lines and we say, okay, you're there and I'm over here, we're just different. The wealthier a person gets, the more poorer people look. The more beautiful a person is, the uglier people are. And without even thinking about it, we put this onto the image of God and how he relates to us. Because so often we say, yeah, sure, Jesus comes to be with us, but when he gets close enough, he'll probably plug his nose because we smell so bad. But that's not the God who's gentle and lowly. Jesus doesn't cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners. It's what he loves to do. Little boys and little girls, we've all done it. We've experienced what slugs are like. You ever seen a slug? Ah, they're gross. Little kids, they, the first slug they ever see are snails. Some of you like snails. First slug you see on the sidewalk and you see its gooey trail behind it. Little kids, they say, what is this? It's got its little antennas poking up and you, you touch one of them and they pull it in real quickly. You've seen that? And of course, every little boy and little girl, they, they have to touch the slug. They want to feel it for themselves. And so, so they reach out with a little finger and, and they, they poke it. And as soon as they touch that slimy, gooey, sticky, gross slug, they pull their hand back so quickly that their face is contorted because it's gross. And so often we think that's how God feels about us. That if he really knew what we were like, if he really knew how terrible we were, if he really knew how disgusting and gross we are, he'd pull back as quickly as he can. Yet he's the one that reaches out wide open arms and says, come, come to me. Come to me, you who are filthy, you who are disgusting, you who have the most sin, who are really, really dirty, the ones that have the biggest problems and the biggest burdens. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. You have full access. Back in 2007, I got married, June 17, 20, 2007. Put that to memory. Whew, don't ever forget that. If I forget, you got to help me. June 17th. I get married. We go to Atlanta. We fly out of Atlanta the next day, heading to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for our honeymoon. We're just, we just graduated from school the week before. We have no money. We, I've been saving up like 10 years for this $1,000 trip. It's amazing how much, how much money was worth back then. We get in the airplane, we land in Puerto Vallarta, we get into the terminal, and all the little people are trying to sell their stuff, their little trinkets and their little paraphernalia. I'm no sucker for that kind of thing, so I just keep on a cruising. And we get to the outside of the terminal, and there's taxis there. Now, we've already calculated how much it's going to cost to get from the airport to our resort, which was way up and around the bay, and it was going to be about 80 bucks. 
Now that's a lot of money for newly married, newly graduated adults, I guess. 80 bucks is a lot of money. And so as we're coming up to find a taxi, uh, there's se several taxis, and one of the guys standing next to the taxis says, hey, would you like a free taxi ride to wherever you're going? Now in 2023, red flags everywhere, right? 2007, total intrigue, tell me more. <laughs> free, did you say? Now, my wife already knew that I'm the cheapest man on the planet, so I had nothing to lose at this point. I said, tell me, tell me more, what's the catch here? What am I missing? And he said, here's the deal. We wanna give you a free taxi ride wherever you wanna go. Uh, tomorrow morning, we wanna pick you up at your resort and we wanna bring you to the newest resort in town. We'll give you free breakfast for only 90 minutes of your time. So I looked at Jen, she looked at me. We were already planning to come back into downtown the next day. And so we said, let's do it. We just got time to kill. So we get into this taxi, this $80 taxi ride that was now free. We go up to our resort. Next morning, we wake up. There was miscommunication. So we ended up uh, being about 30 minutes late to the taxi that was waiting for us. Which, pro tip, by the way, if you're going to some sort of a uh, sales pitch, just arrive late. That 90-minute presentation turned into a 60-minute presentation. Get in the taxi, another $80 taxi ride. We end up back downtown Puerto Vallarta. We go to this unbelievable resort. This is the Garden of Eden right there in Puerto Vallarta. It is gorgeous, brand spanking new. Everything's clean. Yeah, there's the, the happy couple. That is me on the left, if you were wondering. I did have hair at one point. <laughs> it, I know what you all are thinking. Jen hasn't changed a bit, has she? <laughs> I'm no dummy, I knew what I was doing. Anyway, we get to this resort. It's beautiful, it's just perfect, pristine. They usher us in, there's already a bunch of suckers in there already listening to the 90 minute presentation. We're getting the 60 minute version. We get in there, sit down, they tell us about this beautiful resort and how we could have a timeshare there for the right price and they have different layouts and all this stuff. And we're just listening and rolling our eyes thinking, not today, Satan, not gonna happen. They, they get us to the breakfast, it's crepes, it's waffles, it's croissants, it's, it's omelets, everything you could imagine. It's the most beautiful breakfast ever. We sit down at the table, just the two of us were eating. This, this young guy comes in, he's supposed to be one of the closers. He sits down next to us, he's almost our age. And so we have this connection and, and I tell him straight up, I said, look, I, I graduated from college a week ago. I just got married two days ago. Currently, until we get back from vacation, I'm actually unemployed. I, and when I do become employed, I really don't have any idea how much money I'm gonna make, so there's not a chance that I'm going to buy a timeshare right now. And he quickly said, I get it, man, no worry, but I gotta do this. So the three of us had breakfast together, the two newlyweds and a random guy there at our table. A little while later, they sent the second closer to come and talk to us. Older guy, he pushed us. I mean, we're not making this decision. So finally he gave up. We ate our breakfast. We went out and enjoyed the resort the rest of the day. I'm talking beautiful trees, palm trees, iguanas. Sounds like Florida, I know. Beautiful. They had swimming pools everywhere. They had this one swimming pool that had an infinity edge. It was about 100 feet long that we could just sit there with our arms on the edge and just gaze out into the bay. It was absolutely beautiful. They, they'd bring you drinks, whatever you want, food, whatever you wanted. And as we were there, you'd look around and you'd see all the other people that were there. They had a wristband on them that said that they had paid to be there. 
they, they either bought a condo or they bought a timeshare, but they paid for their access. They had to do something to get it. Yet Jen and I, for the whole day, we get to relax in this beautiful, pristine resort. Not because we paid, not because we bargained, not because we knew someone had got hooked up, but because the owner had given us the invitation to enjoy it. He had said, come and be here. Rest a while. I just want you to be here. Eugene Peterson, he paraphrased the Bible. And I believe that he paraphrases this passage better than you and I could even paraphrase it. As he puts this access and this Jesus heart for you to hear, here's what he says in his own words. He says, Forest Lake Church, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Because of the access to Jesus, may you go straight to him and give him your burdens so that you may find rest. Amen.